I'm Julie. And I'm Lisa. And together we are Two, two sober, sober Chicks. I love it when you say chicks, your voice goes up almost every time. It does? <laughs> chicks! <laughs> like you're super excited. I am super excited. Yes. Oh my God. I'm super excited too to be uh, finally completing our 12 Steps of Recovery podcast series. Yes, we're on the maintenance steps now, which is 10, 11, 12. And which actually turned out to be 11 podcasts. I know in the first one we said we were going to do 12, and then about a quarter of the way through we were like, well, six and seven kind of get lumped in a lot. They're sisters. So. Sister steps. Yeah, we did those in one uh, podcast, so you can go back and check it out, and hopefully you've been following along in order. You've had your notebook and your pen and your paper out. And um, maybe it's bringing you some clarity around these steps and some things to discuss with your own sponsor. So Mm -hmm. if we can be of service in that way, we are truly, truly grateful because that's what this podcast is all about. Julie and I sitting around sharing our experience, strength and hope basically on what's worked for us, what hasn't, um, how we've overcome certain struggles and uh, in by no means are we perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. It's a constant reminder that the steps are here to be worked every day. It's about progress, not perfection, because we are not saints. That's right. Today we are podcasting from my place for the first time. Yeah. It's snowing outside. It's about minus 11 here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got snacks and tea, and it's cozy, this and I'm like roasting squash day. in the oven. I, know. I walked in, it smells <laughs> like amazing in here. Mm-hmm. She's got her little Christmas tree in the corner. And this is like one of your favorite days. Snowy days. Yeah. It does look quite pretty out there. I have a puzzle that's 95% complete on my table. I am not a puzzler. This is new for me. Right. And um, it was funny because I was thinking, oh my God, I'm such an alcoholic. The first day to that, I wor- the first two nights after I started working on this puzzle, I'd be lying in bed going, let's go work on the puzzle. <laughs> just just a couple more pieces. And I woke up <laughs> thinking about the puzzle. <laughs> That never goes away, does it? No. The obsessive brain of the addict yeah. just likes to latch on to things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, I'm the same with, I like video games. I'm a video gamer. Uh, first person shooters are my favorite. I think I, I'm working through things there. <laughs> Believe me, it's better in the virtual world mm-hmm. than it would be in real life. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I get a new game, I'm the same way. I'll be up till, sometimes I'll be like, holy shit, it's four o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I have just, oh, just, just a little further, just a little further. I just want to see how this next, you know, series ends. And yeah, I'm the same way. You know what I was thinking though? Like, it's really cool to be excited about stuff in life now, whether it's a video game or a puzzle. Like I'm not up till two o'clock in the morning, blackout drunk, and then waking up in the morning with a hangover. Right. Like I'm secretly excited about a puzzle that I'm doing, which sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> But I wanted to get sober so I could enjoy little things like this because there was no room for them with the hangovers, with the having to prioritize drinking, with what it was doing to my brain and my body. Like, this is very exciting for me. Yeah. It's called being normal, I think. I know. Normal is so underrated. Yeah, it's very nice. It's so nice. It's relaxing and, and chill and less management. There's less management. Oh my God, yes. When we were drinking, there was a whole lot of management, like trying to manage our own lives, trying to micromanage everybody else's, trying to hide things, trying to manipulate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was always managing other people's expectations of me and perceptions of me. 
Um, I, I even remember I once bought a girlfriend last minute the day of, like probably an hour before her birthday party. I went out and dropped several hundred dollars on a small set of diamond earrings because mm. I wanted to look like a hero. Mm. It wasn't because everything was great and wonderful in our relationship, but... And she was kind of like blasé about it, but all the other <gasps> ladies in the room were very excited and thought I was the perfect girlfriend, so mission accomplished. I was just going to say that. <laughs> as long as you got recognition and fawning over, it was, a, it was a success. <laughs> it was a successful manipulation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By that time, she was on to me. She knew what it was all about, so that's, mm. it didn't go according to plan, but I'm so much work. she kept those earrings when you she broke She did. Up. Yeah, she did keep them. All yep. right. Yep. <laughs> Guess they're good enough now. <laughs> but I can totally understand the bitterness behind the gift now. She probably earned back. them. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she did. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. So um, we, yeah, on to step 10. Step 10. All right. As a refresher, step 10. Continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And did we read the uh, translations in the... We did last time. Okay. Yep. So a simplified translation is looked at my thoughts and actions daily. And when I've been wrong, attempted to correct that right away. And the spiritual principle is perseverance. The opposite of which would be to give up or to cease pursuit of something. I was just, this is one of my new, um, what do you call this? Uh, 12 and 12, the, where the traditions and the steps are. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a lot highlighted in this, but I do have something highlighted. How heartily we AAs can agree with him. For we know that the pains of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotional turmoil before serenity. That's Who's an interesting him? paragraph. Let's go back here. Oh, um, under these conditions, the pains of failure are converted into assets. Out of them, we receive the stimulation we need to go forward. Someone who knew what he was talking about once remarked that pain was the touchstone mm. of all spiritual progress. It's one of my favorite lines. Again, how heartily we AAs can agree with him, mm -hmm. for we know that the pains of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotional turmoil before serenity. Yes. I think we've so talked good. about that a lot mm -hmm. um, in this podcast and in the rooms about how, you know, I kind of feel... Um, maybe not sorry for that's maybe not the right phrase but somehow sometimes I think it's it's a little bit more difficult for people today than it was back when this program first got started because when this program first got started there were no rehabs mm -hmm. there were no spas <laughs> no retreats that you could go to and that's for me that's basically what they are you get to retreat from the chaos uh, that your alcoholism has created the yeah. chaos that your life currently is because of your actions you get to go to a rehab and basically you know reset and try to learn how to l live life yeah um, but back in the beginning when aa started you didn't have that you had jail institutions or death yeah so under you know it's like under those conditions you you got this program or you went to those three options quite quickly and now it's almost like we can drag this out for years before we, um, I think, suffer enough to be willing enough to get that key of willingness to be able to get the message to do the work, mm -hmm. to turn our will and our life over to something greater. Because maybe it's not quite bad enough 
yet. Mm-hmm. You know, there always seems to be an easier, softer way today, which I think can fuck people up from getting recovery. Yeah. And, and that's why it's also harder to deduce for people statistically, like, does AA work? I've had my own family members say, do you think AA works? And I'm sitting there thinking, uh, am I not proof? Yeah. <laughs> am I loaded right now at this holiday dinner? No. So yeah, I think it works. And my answer um, has been of late um, to family members. I think it works 100% of the time for people who put 100% of the effort in Mm -hmm. and stick around long enough and wait for that miracle to happen. But you have to do the work. Yeah. And the biggest part of the work is letting go and um, letting go of your way and learning to follow the suggestions. And step 10 is a tough one. Is it? Well, if you didn't like step four, (laughs) (laughs) step 10 is doing step four every day. Yes. Right? But in a much easier, because, okay, so at step 10, we are getting pretty good at Mm self-awareness because we've done all the work of step four and we've seen our defects in action and we've tried to let go of them and give them over. So by step 10, it's, we're pretty Mm self-aware. I've heard some people say that they like to do it at night, but I've also heard someone make a really good case for doing it in the morning. Cause if they did, he said, if I do my step 10 at night, I can't do anything about it. Like it's bedtime, mm-hmm. I'm settling down, probably the people that I would need to make an amend to are settling down. So he likes to do it in the morning. Whatever it it looks like, yeah. it's basically you going over the day saying, where did I go off the rails? Where can I do better next time? And do I owe an amend to myself or someone else? Right. Well, the only thing I, the only difficulty I would have with that is how are you going to know what mistakes you're going to make later on in the day, first thing in the morning? He would do them in the morning of the day before. So he would do his amends from the day before in the morning. Yes. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, what, there's no set template. Whatever works for Whatever you. Whatever works for you. Yeah. For me, I don't do a step 10 at night anymore because I, ca- I know. I know the second something's going <laughs> wrong. It might take me until nighttime or yeah. the next day or a few days for me to be like, I owe that person an amend or that wasn't kind or I have to pray for that person. But I know it immediately. When I am struggling, like really struggling with something in my sober life, then I whip out my calendar and I do my step 10 every day for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. I get more uh, religious about it. I get more diligent about it. Um, And then it inevitably falls off. Mm -hmm. But like what you just said, I am also more aware today than I was six years ago about my character defects and when they're rearing their ugly head and catching myself and, um, trying to make changes and make restitution. Um, but yeah, getting in that practice. So whenever things start to feel like I'm going off the rails or things are a little off kilter for me, or I just need more help doing that nightly, uh, inventory is pretty good. It helps out a lot Mm -hmm. and it's kind of easy. Um, I have a really cool app I suggest to um, my sponsees, it's called my spiritual toolkit and there's a free version. And then for a few dollars, you can buy, um, Mm -hmm. the lifetime version, which is what I did because that way I can keep, um, I can keep a journal. I can keep all my gratitude lists, which has been really neat Mm -hmm. to be able to go back and look at the beginning when I had trouble having a gratitude (laughs) 
Yeah, it was hard for me to come up with three things when my sponsor suggested that my first sponsor is a spiritual practice. Yeah. I was like, fuck. Because what she said was, you can't do the same three things over and over and over again. You have to do new three things every night. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'd really have to rack my brain. And yeah. now I could probably come up with 20 or 30 like in three seconds. Yeah. And, and, um, it's interesting cause I'm studying this little course on uh, eCoursera and it's from some university and, uh, it's about the, the study of happiness and well being. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they talk about for people who are happier than most people are the people who are grateful, people who work on being grateful. Yeah. It's about attitude. And they talked about how the 40, per, there's 40% of 10% is life circumstances. Your happiness is determined mm, by 10, interesting. only 10% I believe of it. what happens to you. Mm-hmm. 50%, they say, is genetically decided. You're either a half glass full person or you're a half glass empty person. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> that one I found difficult to swallow. But if it's true, then there's 40% that is within our power, within our control. That's a big percentage. Because it means that all we have to do is change our thinking. Mm-hmm. And what is this program all about? To- all of it's changing our thinking, yep. undoing old belief systems, old scripts. You have to be willing to be open th- to the reality that the way you've been doing it or the yeah. way we've been doing it is not necessarily the best way. And you have to shelve that, mm-hmm. try something new. Um, in this little, um, what's it called? My spiritual toolkit. They also have a spot check inventory, a nightly inventory, a journal, the gratitude list. And then they have a list of all the prayers, which is kind of cool. Let's see the nightly inventory. Does it help you out with the questions? I think it does. Yes. So when you click on it, it says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful? And you click yes or no. Yes. And then describe if needed. So you would write down, I was resentful at this bitch for the way she treated me. Were you selfish? Yes or no? No, I don't think I was. Next. Click no. Yes. Were we dishonest? So these are all the questions. Were Mm -hmm. we afraid? Do we owe an apology? And then you would write down what the apology is, who you need it, who you need to give it to. Have we kept something to ourselves, which should be discussed with another person at once? That's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Am I keeping this to myself? Mm-hmm. Um, because that it goes back to that old saying, our secrets keep us sick. Mm-hmm. Like I might justify my anger or my resentment, but if I share it with my sponsor, who's my trusted advisor, he's not going to let me get away with that stuff. Yeah, He's going to say, nope, that's none of your business. Or, um, yep, you, you owe an amends there. Um, why were you thinking that? Or why were you doing it this way? He's going to draw attention to those things. So that's why it's important for me to check my thinking with somebody else. Were we kind and loving toward all? That one's like, wow, all? I know, that's the problem. (laughs) All of a sudden you think about, you know, road rage and giving the finger to Mm -hmm. somebody. Being impatient behind someone in a line. Yeah. If you actually did this every night, I think it would change your behavior immensely. But it's also a good reminder. Like when I think that I'm doing better than maybe I am. I go through that and I go, oh yeah, no, I'm not kind and loving towards all. Most, but not all. What could we have done better? An opportunity to write down and look at that. Mm -hmm. Um, Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time or were we thinking of others? Were we doing acts of kindness? 
I know this person who, uh, she does acts of kindness, but she does them and then tells everybody about them Mm -hmm. and, um, makes a big deal of it and Mm -hmm. how much time she's spending on it and how, you know, she's so wonderful and everyone else is inept and well, that's not philanthropic. (laughs) It's not philanthropy if you have to go around and tell everybody about it. Um, or were we thinking of what we could, uh, do for others and what we could pack into the stream of life. And then at the end, it compiles all of your answers. And now you have it in a nice, neat little, little file that you can keep and you can email it or text it to your sponsor. You can share it with a sponsee about, Hey, this Mm -hmm. is what I did for my day. And this is what I learned from it. It's a great teaching tool as well. Does it have an option about to look at what you've done well? Hmm. Because I think for some people, for me, that's not a big deal because I am the most kind and loving person to myself that I know. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem celebrating little victories, congratulating myself. For me, it's important to say, you did really well with that today. Well, I think if you answered yes to, uh, or if you answered no to, I was selfish, Mm -hmm. then you have a chance to write down. Okay. No, I'm not selfish. Here's yeah. what I did for other people. So yeah, I think it depends on what okay. your answer is. Is yeah. it yes or is it no? And then also, um, uh, was I kind and loving toward all? Maybe your answer is yes. Maybe yeah. you had an awesome day Yeah. where you were like, yeah, I held doors open for everybody. I smiled. That was one of the exercises in this course I was taking on happiness and well-being mm-hmm. for an entire week. Try to do one kind thing every day. Um, and then they did this thing where it was for strangers only. So it was, and I talk to people all the time. Like I, <laughs> I embarrass my wife because I start two minute conversations with pretty much everybody in every elevator I've ever entered. <laughs> like I get to know you. You're that person. <laughs> I am that mm-hmm. person. Everyone else is staring at the ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like to talk to people yeah, in elevators. And I'm that freak who tries to draw you out of your shell mm-hmm. and talk to you and find right. something. And I find, I don't know, no one's ever... Maybe they just can't, but no one's ever not talked to me or ignored me or said, I don't feel like talking right now, which I would respect if they did. Mm -hmm. But I find people leave the elevator and they're smiling. Yeah. There have been some dark times in my life where the only human interaction I have was somebody in an elevator or someone holding a door open for me and it changed my Mm -hmm. mood that day. Mm -hmm. So, And so for that week, that's what I did. I I made a point of making eye contact with every stranger I passed on the street. Nice. And smiling. And That's most nice. everybody, not everybody, but most everybody mm-hmm. noticed and smiled a beautiful smile back. That's nice. And it was nice. And it was like this second interaction. Mm-hmm. Makes a difference. Yeah. I like also on uh, page 91 of the 12 and 12. This is so good. It says, as important as it is to be willing to admit when the fault is ours, it is of equal importance to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. I freaking love it. I never thought of step 10 in that way. To forgive when it's someone else's fault. Yes. Yeah. It's no, of I... equal importance to make an amend that it is to an extent of forgiveness mm-hmm. at the end of your day. I think I learned that... Um... I think I learned that with my brother when my brother mm-hmm. had uh, done something to me as a child and it f- took me years to mm-hmm. finally, you know, address it and talk to him about it. And then it took him many more years before he finally was ready to give me an apology. And it wasn't the best apology. It was one full of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, you know, I kept telling myself 
And this came from our good friend uh, who said to me, try to see the human frailty in him. And when you were making your amends to people, you know, we don't do it for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. but that is a secret hope that we hope that their heart softens a little bit. So try to see that human frailty in him. And I did. And when he was finished, I said, you know, um, I understand that that must have been extremely hard for you to admit. Um, It's not something that anyone would want to admit in public Mm -hmm. or to another human being. And it took a lot of courage to be able to finally say that. And I want you to know that I acknowledge that and, uh, and I accept your apology yeah. and I forgive you. And that for me, that was healing for me because I felt released. Mm-hmm. I felt kind of trapped by this for years. And in doing that, it really was freeing. Yeah. And for some people, that's the only way they can for- forgive someone else. It, it has to be about them. <laughs> you know, yeah. they have to say, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. If that's what you have to do, and it is freeing. It is freeing. When you forgive someone else. Yeah. And you have some, the hardest forgiveness to extend someone is someone that's not asking for it. But there's a lot of people that will never apologize for something they've done to us. Mm -hmm. And so getting to the place where we forgive them releases us. It's accepting that the past happened. We can't do anything about it. And we're just continuing to move forward. Like people who birthed you. Yeah. And they don't think you, they owe you an apology. Well, my, I had to forgive my parents for a lot of the way stuff in the way that they raised me. And, um, they've never apologized to me. My dad did one time. However, uh, he was, it's, he had had a lot to drink and probably doesn't even remember it. Right. But I remember when he said it to me, um, I think he said I was a shitty father. And I remember thinking, that's nice that he said that to me, but I had already forgiven him. Yeah. So it wasn't a life-changing moment. It was more like somewhere inside this man knows that mm-hmm. he did a good deal of damage. Yeah. He also did a good deal of good. Mm-hmm. So once I also got to that place in recovery, examining my relationship with my parents, I realized they're not all bad. They actually did more good than bad, but the bad was scary. So... Yeah. You know, I'm at a good place with my parents. I accept them for who they are, um, even though it's not a typical parent-child relationship. I've accepted that I won't get that from them. Mm-hmm. And I have opened my eyes in gratitude to the way God has provided other people in my life to give me those. Yeah. First of all, God, God, my father, is the best parent I've ever had. So I get a lot of paternal stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I have women in my life. Like one of my best friends is a very nurturing maternal love. Yeah. So I get a lot of mother love from her and my sponsor, my grand sponsor. Yeah. So it's not that it's not there. It's just not in the form that I had always wanted it to yeah. come in. And isn't that interesting? There's two ways we can look at those life circumstances. Again, bringing Mm -hmm. us back to life circumstances only make up 10% of our actual Mm -hmm. happiness and how we think about it is 40%. So you can take that circumstance and you can look at it and you can say, my parents were shitty. I never got what I needed. I didn't get the nurturing. I didn't get the love. Or you can say, wow, how lucky am I that God, Mm -hmm. the universe, creator, whatever it is you believe in, has provided for me in other ways. Or, you know what? Maybe I don't have that right now, but at least I know I can get it. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to get it from my traditional parents or any relationship that we're talking about, but I can get it from other people. Growing up gay and then coming out to my family and at first being like 
disowned, Mm -hmm. get out of here, we don't want you, and moving away, I then developed a sea of wonderful relationships with amazing friends who also had difficulties with their own family. And guess what? We became our own family. Um, growing up, my kid had what what uh, he would come to know as ganties. They're the gay aunties, mm-hmm. you know, all the gay males. <laughs> what are, are there gunkles? Gunkles. <laughs> oh, I didn't know this. Gunkles and ganties. And that was our, you know, and um, he was the gaby of the family. Wow. <laughs> it was just, you know, we had fun with it. Yeah. And we had uh, our holidays. Um, I would cook a big turkey and I'd have all our friends who had no place to go at the holiday time. So we developed our own family and that was a gift. And for years, it was not a gift to me because I didn't have the right frame of mind. But now looking back on it, I can look and think, wow, God took care of me Yeah. in that time. I did have family. I do have family today, Yeah. you know, and it didn't stop. I still have family on both sides. I have family who are friends and family who is blood, but it's all in how we look at it and it can really change everything. So let's read the step one more time. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Wait. I thought we are on step 10. We are on step 10. That's step 10? Yes. <laughs> are you thinking about step 11? I was, yes. That's okay, because that's a perfect way to say, this is the end of step 10. That's Stay next. tuned for step 11. <laughs> Continue. Say it again for me. Continue I... to take personal inventory, mm-hmm. and when we were wrong, promptly, promptly admitted, admitted it. it. And like we've talked about, there's many ways that you can do that. You can do a spot check inventory. You can do a nightly inventory. Don't worry. You're never going to be perfect. You're you're probably not one of these people. I'm not one of these people who does it every night. But when things start to go a little off kilter for me, it's like, mm, I need to call my sponsor and maybe I need to start checking in a little bit more and do my inventories and figure things out. Yeah. Um, and it helps with the blame game too, you know. You're never going to be satisfied in life if you're always blaming other people for your circumstances. Mm-hmm. So Victims take... do not get well in our program. No, they don't do well, especially if they have a sponsor like me. Just ask one of my sponsees, Sarah. She'll be happy <laughs> to tell you she was never allowed to play the victim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a famous line is, um, yeah, do you have bed bugs? Do you have lice? Oh, you have a bed to sleep in tonight? Call me when you're done crying and your pity party is over. Mm-hmm. Click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know what? She called back. <laughs> She was ready. She had the key of willingness, and we hope you have it too. We're on to step 11 next in our 11 series, 12 step podcast on two sober chicks. We hope you join us then. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon.